This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today, we are talking about strategies for addressing mental health challenges in the workplace. After more than two years in a viral pandemic, with some country borders still closed, other countries still experiencing lockdowns and increased infection rates from the newer and less deadly variants of COVID-19, many families are still experiencing stress to their children from mandated mask wearing, learning loss, and the negative effects of social isolation. Others face multiple deaths and or serious illness of family members and friends from the virus and or vaccine injuries. Even as many areas return to some normalcy, mass shootings have increased in multiple settings, including schools. Natural disasters due to fires and floods continue with loss of life and property, and the war between Russia and Ukraine continues. As a result of these conflicts across the globe, the U.S. faces immigration challenges, flooded borders, inhumane treatment of those seeking refuge, high gas prices, supply chain challenges, potential food shortages, rising inflation increasing interest rates, and families worried about being able to feed their families. And even as U.S. military conflicts decrease and soldiers return home to their families, the U.S. military reports increased suicide and domestic violence incidents. So that's the reason we are talking today about strategies for dealing with mental health issues in the workplace. And today, I've invited three of my esteemed psychologist colleagues, each with a different perspective, to join me for our conversation about mental health challenges in the workplace. Let me introduce you to my guest. First of all, Dr. Tanya Armstrong, PhD, MTS, is an international speaker, author, licensed psychologist, minister, and CEO of the Armstrong Center for Hope, cultivating psychological and spiritual wellness for all ages. Dr. Armstrong is the author of the book, album set, Blossoming Hope, The Black Christian Woman's Guide to Mental Health and Wellness. Thank you, Dr. Armstrong, for being here with me today. Such a pleasure to be here with you today, Dr. Karen. Thank you so much. Next, I'd like to introduce my next guest. For 20 years, Dr. Lynn Wasaki held a variety of generalist, specialist, and VP management positions in human resources and organizational development in Fortune 500 organizations. He is a board-certified vocational rehabilitation counselor and is a licensed psychologist in the state of Connecticut. For more than 30 years, Len has coached executives and consulted with Fortune 500 companies in aerospace, banking, insurance, large hospitals, nuclear manufacturing, and pharmaceutical industries. Thank you so much, Len, for joining me and being here today. 
All right. I'd also like to introduce my colleague, Dr. J.C. Wright. She is a licensed psychologist and board certified coach with over 20 years of experience as a coach and leadership development consultant. She was an adjunct executive coach for the Center for Creative Leadership for 15 years before accepting her current position as principal leadership development specialist at a global Christian ministry. JC was also an active duty Navy officer and psychologist. Welcome, JC, to the program. Happy to be here, Dr. Karen. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So thanks to all of you. I really appreciate having you here and being able to have this conversation and to tap into your expertise about mental health in the workplace. So Dr. Armstrong, I'm going to start with you today. Since you work primarily in a private practice setting, and you've got a window of what mental health challenges people are experiencing right now. So that's why I'm going to start with you. And before we jump into some of those more specific questions, tell us a little bit about the Armstrong Center for Hope. I know you are based in Durham, North Carolina. What do you do there and who do you serve? Thank you, Karen. At the Armstrong Center for Hope, we do specialize in psychological and spiritual wellness for all ages. So we have two locations currently in Durham and Raleigh, and we provide psychological testing as well as psychotherapy for children, adolescents, teens, couples, families, and groups. And so we have had the pleasure of serving persons during the pandemic, primarily through telehealth, but we have had continued offerings of in-person services as well. Thank you so much. And it's great that you have two locations now and still have been able to be busy and occupied even through the pandemic. So what trends are you noticing in mental health for adults, for children, and for youth? And what impact has the pandemic had? So into uh, the uh, perhaps the first six months of the pandemic, we were um, given the opportunity to actually collect data, which is not something we typically do in a private practice setting, but we were able to publish a paper looking at the trends of mental health that we were seeing in our clients. And we also had the opportunity to hear from our clinicians about how they were doing through the pandemic. What we found basically is that there were higher levels of depression, anxiety, social isolation, and grief and loss. And we saw those across all ages. We did tend to see that some of our youth were having challenges with virtual learning. And we saw that the clinicians were struggling with some of the very same things as uh, our clientele. But we did note that uh, it was important throughout the pandemic. And we actually termed it in our article, the poly pandemic, because of the slew of challenges that you mentioned in your introduction, we found that encouraging our clinicians to attend to self-care was really a very helpful antidote against some of the many challenges that we all were seeing, and in turn, encouraged the same to pass along to our clientele. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that, especially just noting that the clinicians are at work and they have to take care of themselves too. That's an important point you just brought up. So Lynn, I'm going to turn to you next. You're based in Marlboro, Connecticut, and your consulting and coaching practice is focused on Fortune 500 executives 
and physicians. You also do some limited clinical work. Tell us a little bit about your practice setting. Well, you know, it's changed over the years. And thank you for asking, Dr. Karen. Um, I'm, I'm doing more executive coaching as, um, as a contractor. Uh, and also, there's a small clinical case flow that I have, primarily virtual, but several patients come into my office here in Marlboro. By and large, I see my clinical clients having uh, presenting more with depression and anxiety. And I think it's, it's due to the isolation of the pandemic. That's my thoughts and what I've been able to glean from my clients. My executives are so busy uh, that there's, a, there's a, more of a strain on them. Uh, and I think that's also influenced by the uh, pandemic as well. That's really a very important distinction and insight that you just shared with us about what some of the differences are, the kind of overwhelm and stress that happens with the executive population and for the others, the isolation and then depression and anxiety in those cases. So when you think, Len, about these mental health challenges that are affecting the executives in particular, are these changes the same as you've seen in the past or is it very different from what you've seen in the past? I Interestingly, that, that, that's a, a great question. And I think that it, there is a difference. And the difference I see is one of interpersonal strengths. The, the greater the interpersonal strengths there are on the part of executives and those clients who are involved in supervisory positions or um, you know, have a, a direct contact with individuals, seem to be uh, exacerbated by the, the people they're dealing with uh, because of the isolation and the stress. And, and quite frankly, the fact of uh, more people Zooming uh, today than there ever has been before. This kind of creates, it, it distances people in not a good way. And, and I think that has a psychological impact on them. And I, I find that there's a, there's a great deal more stress in the workplace, as well as in the private sector. Uh, Lynn, would you say a little bit more about what you mean by the interpersonal strengths and what sure. they are and what they look like? The extent to which someone is able to understand how other people feel and uh, to meet them where they are really speaks to their effectiveness, both as individuals, as patients, as well as executives in the workplace. Um, when people are around you and, and, and you can kind of sense more about how they are interpersonally in the workplace, there's not as much of an emphasis on that, uh, on, the, uh, on the stress issues. But when people are on Zoom most of the time, uh, people miss cues, they miss interpersonal cues. And in doing that, they, they forget about doing giving the people the full extent of their attention and or their ability to get involved or engaged with them. And this creates a problem psychologically. So it's interesting. There are ways that we can disconnect from one another more easily when in a Zoom format, and that has interpersonal and mental health consequences as Correct. part of what I'm hearing you say. Yes. Okay, thank you so much, Lynn. So JC, I'm coming to you now, and you are based in Cape Coral, Florida, and Kushara, Colorado. And you work as an internal resource for major global Christian ministry. Tell us a little bit about the organization and what you do there. 
Thanks, Dr. Karen. So uh, yeah, I'm a principal leadership development specialist, but I work in the context of learning and development for the workforce overall. Our workforce is about, I think we're growing pretty big right now, um, about 3,500 to 4,000 people globally. We're in Asia, Africa, Latin America, South America, and we're serving the most impoverished areas and in particular children in those most impoverished areas. And so I've, I've been doing that with uh, this organization for a couple of years. And I, just shortly after I started, the pandemic hit. All right. So you came in just at a time when all kinds of disruption was taking place. So tell us then a little bit, JC, how the work conditions have changed at your global nonprofit. And then what are the mental health impacts that you're seeing as a result of those changes? Well, like uh, everybody else around the world, we were sent home on that March 19th or 20th or whatever it was, 2020, and we stayed there. So everybody was working from home. Uh, Our organization had about a one-third of our workforce was remote anyway at that time, but that other two-thirds had a pretty big, significant learning curve on how to work remotely. And I'd say that it it really impacted different individuals differently. I certainly agree with Len, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, increase in EAP was utilized. Uh, Disconnection, I think, and loneliness was a big piece of it. There were some folks that were actually kind of feeling a more freedom to be able to work from home and they hadn't done that before and some embraced it. I would say they were probably in the minority for those folks who hadn't been previously remote and others really suffered uh, without with that disconnection. And so uh, things that the organization did pretty early on, I was impressed and I really had very little to do with it. I was just trying to learn the organization, to be honest. But uh, one of the first things uh, they did was start a newsletter, a very spiritual kind of devotional type of newsletter that went out weekly to support and encourage and was mainly resiliency based. We also did some uh, global resiliency workshops uh, just to help folks understand the importance of self-care and maintaining energy. People uh, continue to work long hours and really not having good boundaries around how to shut down in that still an ongoing issue. And I think it's maybe emphasized or because their passion and purpose that everybody that works at my organization has a deep Christian kind of um, faith base and understands the implications of our mission. And that I think negatively in some cases impacts their ability to put on boundaries and to just continue to work. So I've even, you know, we've talked about weight gain, anxiety, depression, uh, disconnection, Zoom fatigue is a huge issue. Uh, And so in a kind of a desperate way to try and remain connected, there's been this meeting emphasis and it's just been a drain. So folks are in meetings sometimes back to back to back all day long and not really feeling like they're accomplishing much and being very exhausted at the end of a day and, you know, depleted in their energy. And so, um, the other problem with Zoom, I would say, and, and Len, I think you may have alluded to this, is uh, not only are you not able to pick up on cues and communication and your personal things that are happening, but being on camera is that sense of being on all the time. So folks are hypervigilant, which also contributes to that depletion of energy and, and decreased performance likely over time. You know, JC, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to highlight and have you expound on a little bit more. You talked about the fact that because of the passion and purpose that people have, 
because of the mission of the ministry and the organization. And in the world right now, there are even greater needs for impoverished children. So therefore, people are feeling like they have to stay up maybe almost 24-7 in all different time zones to try to meet some of those needs. And so say a little bit more about that, because that's unique. Not all businesses have that component or that aspect. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there that with the pandemic, uh, areas of the world were shut down much longer and uh, needs for food and uh, folks couldn't work. They were making an, a meager income to begin with, and now they had no income and no way to get to churches where they were getting their resources met in many circumstances. And we knew that our the, the needs were greater and greater over time. And so the marketing department in particular felt that strain of we need to bring in more funds and folks you know, wore themselves out. And so there was some turnover just that they feel like a failure and they, they move away or they just feel like they can't keep up. And so uh, that, that can create some attrition as well. But yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's a blessing to be able to work somewhere where you're completely aligned with what you're trying to accomplish and able to work within Jesus's ministry. And what a blessing we know that is. The flip side of that is it's so involved in who you are and what you're about that it's hard to disconnect, if not impossible. I would say another real quick thing about our organization is the folks who were internal to the headquarters in Colorado Springs, it was more of a family than a typical work environment because we've always had devotions on a weekly basis. We've had uh, church on a monthly basis where everyone would gather. And so it really is a sense of true community. And so to be yanked out of that so abruptly, you know, there was a sense of loss and still is for especially a lot of those folks that have been there for 20 years. And now it's it's nothing like it was. That's a really good point. Having had really tight community and then having that yanked away, so to speak, and Zoom not really being maybe the most effective replacement. You also mentioned earlier something about EAP, which is Employee Assistance Program. Some people in the audience may not know what that is. Just say a word or two about what EAP is. Yeah, um, exactly. You just said uh, it's a a way for folks to get mental health counseling in a confidential way to meet their needs regardless. And different organizations do it differently, but uh, typically offer, you know, external counselors up to a certain number of sessions per condition. And it can be for individual, for family, for marital counseling, um, whatever the need presents. Okay, great. Thank you so much for clarifying that as well. And it sounds like even though in your organization, you already had some experience with a third of the workforce working remotely, it's been still a steep learning curve with the whole workforce working remotely at this point. So thank you for sharing with us what your experience has been and what's going on in your organization. So Lynn, I'll come to you next and I'll ask you, Given what the landscape is and the challenges that people are facing right now in mental health and in the workplace, how do you think that businesses and leaders can better support mental health in the workplace? What are some of the services that people really need and the opportunities that you think are out there? Well, that's a good question. Again, my specialty is in emotional intelligence. And that's what I did my dissertation on after I went back to school after almost 27 years uh, to to be able to figure out why really smart people do silly things, which oftentimes get them fired, and they're usually in leadership positions. And the the solution, if there is one, 
has to do with interpersonal contact and really acknowledging where people are in, in their particular personal and professional space. And this goes primarily with my executives, but it also has relevance to my patients as well in the clinical setting. Being able to uh, acknowledge people, being able to give them a certain amount of uh, listening skill, to be able to connect and to engage with uh, their subordinates and with, with each other uh, from a clinical point of view, seems to offset some of the difficulty of the pandemic. And there has to be a greater effort because of the pandemic. Uh, and I think that's, that might be one of the solutions if there is one. So let's say a little bit more about that, Lynn, because we know that a lot of times people are not physically back in the workplace. In some cases, they are or part of the people there. So how might this happen practically, that people connect interpersonally and that they check in on each other to see how they're doing and to listen and to ask, what do you recommend in terms of the format, the ways of doing that, and maybe even the frequency, because some things have changed in terms of the atmosphere out there. Yeah, good question. I think you gave part of the answer in your question, and that is checking in, being able to take that, run the extra mile, take the extra effort, make the extra effort to check in, whether it be a chat or whether it be a text or whether it be uh, something that you can do electronically that would make up for the separation or the isolation. And that would give the individual the sense that there's a personal desire to understand and to connect and to engage with with each other. This is kind of taken for granted in the workplace because you can you can stroll over to somebody's cubicle or to another office and you can have a conversation and you can come back. Uh, and that's just not the case in you know, the past couple of years. So you have to kind of go out of your way to make that connection, to make the, to create that engagement, to be able to uh, without a doubt let the person know that they're there and they're cared about and what they're doing is important. Uh, and uh, it's, it's not an isolated thing. I've seen this from some of my cl- clinical clients who've been let go from jobs. And the whole process of getting another job is, is exacerbated by the pandemic. So there's a lot of quote mental illness going on that has to do with isolation. And sometimes it's imposed or sometimes it's self-imposed, but most of the time it's it's because the CDC tells us to. You mentioned the fact that in a normal work setting where we're not really in lockdown or isolation or working virtually, people might encounter each other more naturally at the water cooler, across the you know cubicles and so on and so forth. So one of the things I'm hearing you say is there's a greater intentionality that's yeah. really necessary in order yeah. to make this happen. Yeah. And even though we talk about Zoom, and in some senses, we talked about it, Zoom fatigue and the problematic aspects, you mentioned the, the chatting with somebody, you know, getting on some electronic device, perhaps a phone call. And would you say Zoom is also a good way to connect if you haven't talked to someone in a while? Well, you know, if, if you're able to do it personally, yes. If you do it in a structured way, you know, in a business setting, it tends to be a bit much. Like uh, I think JC was saying earlier, the back-to-back meetings on Zoom get to be artificial and, and, and just fatiguing. And, and they're also somewhat... Uh, you know, vague. Uh, you're supposed to show up. In uh, one of my in my second career, I was a professor, and some of the kids wouldn't even turn their their set on their their actual screen. Uh, 
And, you know, you, you question, well, are they there? Are they not there? Are they just there with a plastic face? Um, and so I, I would say make it personal. If you can do so, make it personal. And then it's understood that it's to them. And it's, it's not just something you're doing for a work-related issue. Yeah, that's a really good point. The agenda doesn't always have to be strictly work-related. Even connect with somebody on Zoom personally, meaning one-to-one, doesn't have to even be a group, just so you're finding out how are you, how are you doing, all just how's your life, how are your children. Right. It, so you can use it in that way as well as what I'm also hearing you say. So we're making a distinction between just strictly a work Zoom call and a real check-in and touch base personally, how you are doing kind of a call. Correct. All right. Thank you so much, Lynn. So Tanya, let me come to you. And you spoke earlier about the poly pandemic. And of course, at the very beginning of this hour, I named multiple things that have been going on in our world, some of which are still continuing and still going on. So tell us a little bit about what gives people hope during a poly pandemic and these chaotic times. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've mentioned, at the Armstrong Center for Hope, we do serve persons who are often interested in incorporating a spiritual outlook. And so often for persons of faith, there has been uh, a parallel drawn to even uh, biblical times that we are going through. There's one thing you're dealing with one week, and then the next thing it's with the weather or the climate or the crime, and it just goes on and on. And so we have to acknowledge that those events are occurring and affirm for people that when they have those feelings of anxiety, maybe subclinical, but still that kind of anxiety that is a natural sort of normative response to the events of the world, we have to acknowledge those things. And yet we often look for those places of hope. And so sometimes we find it most useful to start with the individual. So we may ask them what their sources of hope are. And even for persons who do not describe themselves as spiritual, it often is important to use the language to develop a sense of where persons may find hope. Perhaps that hope is something that is found in their relationships. And so as we've been talking a lot about the social isolation that has resulted from the poly pandemic, we then have to say, have there been new opportunities to form relationships, which is sort of ironic, but has indeed happened for many people. Um, through the use of technology. So we look at relationships as being sources of hope. We often will ask people about some of the shifts that have occurred. So for example, the great resignation is a thing that's been going on in our world. And for some people that has been the cause of Uh, vulnerability or that has um, given them the experience of vulnerability. But for others, it has been empowering to recognize that there are additional opportunities that exist in the world. And so we like for people to look at where is their hope perhaps in your vocational calling. And then we like for people to look at where the hope may be in their spiritual connections. What is it that they have perhaps had an opportunity to enrich during times of being socially isolated? Uh, Some people who were used to perhaps joining together in person in their communities of faith have found that they've had to resort to virtual connection. 
or perhaps they've had opportunities to visit other communities of faith virtually and find some sustenance there. And so if we can open the conversation and have our clients reflect on what their sources are in these and other areas, I think that we can look at the poly pandemic instead of just as half empty, we can see the half full possibilities that exist. Now, Dr. Armstrong, I'm really delighted by what you just said, because sometimes people don't think about what their sources of hope are. So just asking that question and helping them to categorize those or to name them, they realize they have a lot more strengths and possibilities than they otherwise would think about. So that's a very important exercise. And with the news focusing on so many negative aspects, people may not think, well, if I just lost my job, what might be a benefit or what might be an opportunity until you ask that question and help them to think, what is something you always wanted to do and now you can actually pursue it or now you can actually do it? Or how can you do some new kinds of relationships? Like I know for myself, I've always been a global traveler in my business and I haven't been traveling globally, but I've actually met with more people globally because of Zoom and other connections like that. So that's been a real bonus in finding out what's happening in other countries and across the world. And that's been exciting as well. So it sounds like what you're doing is you're helping people to acknowledge that. And you're also helping them to connect their experience to the master stories, if you will, and events of the Bible and to say, you know, this isn't the first time people have gone through this it's happened before we're going to get through. That's what I hear. Exactly. That's exactly right, Dr. Karen. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Armstrong, for sharing that with us, because that's extremely helpful in our process and what we're doing. So I'm going to come to uh, you, JC, and you named a number of wonderful things that your organization is already doing in terms of the newsletter that's been put out and other connection points. What else do you think companies can do? Maybe even something that your company's not even doing yet, or if there are things that they are doing which you haven't, you know, shared with us or named, name some of those things and how might these strategies actually impact wellness and turnover in the workplace? One thing uh, my organization has done and we continue to do is no meetings Friday. So that gives uh, folks, you know, permission to decline meetings on Fridays. I mean, they happen occasionally, but that was really a, a value add that folks could know they had at least the space at the end of the week to clear the decks, have some kind of heads down time. We also, for a period of time during the pandemic, over a year, had half day Fridays that they instituted. Sadly, many times, Folks were still working full day Fridays, but the kind of flexibility and honoring of the individual, I think, was well received that folks just felt like, wow, they really care about us. And even though I'm working, you know, eight hours, it's okay because I'm kind of doing it at my pace. And I know I've been blessed by my organization to do this and take care of myself. As we've started to open up, they've got hotel spaces, right? For those folks that are still in the area that want to come in a couple of days a week that didn't have that community and communion with each other, they can do that. We have regular meetings kind of early in the week and late in the week. So a prayer meeting at the beginning of the week with a team. And it's not like everybody does this, but just one thing that we encourage folks to do. And I think many of our teams do is they come together as a small team and just bring their prayer requests and praises and start off the week 
kind of listening and caring for one another. An optional kind of meeting toward the end of the week just for fun, just to eat lunch, hang out, to try and get some of that connection Len's talking about. And I think all of us have mentioned that you're not getting at those cubicles or when you're by the, you know, getting your coffee. I, now my area is in demand, right? So things are opening up. Teams have come together. Many people have been hired. Uh, so many times teams don't know each other in person at all, or you know, several folks are brand new to the team. And so when things started open up, we had a lot of requests and still do for offsite meetings. And these have been great. So we we use it as a time to really get to know each other in depth, to set some norms around some of the things we're talking about. Are we going to have one-on-ones like walk and talk on the phone or are we going to have Zoom as our camera on or mute on and just identifying and clarifying some of these things can help folks, you know, just feel more at peace and understand one another, you know, what's okay for taking vacation, what's not and all those kinds of conversations. So having folks come together and really have a little bit of fun together as well as get to know each other as well as set some team norms, all these things I think have been helpful in just helping folks gel, come together and feel connected. Lastly, I'll just, it sounds so simple, but I think we've all talked about how disconnected we are literally and, you know, just by Zoom, even there, having leaders come in their one-on-ones and really start those one-on-ones with how are you really, right? So people say, how are you? I'm fine. Then boom, they're into task mode, many folks, versus let's really talk about what's going on and how can I help you? Where are you at? What's happening? What support do you need? And so that's from a leader perspective. From a team perspective, in order to help that connectedness, because we're naturally siloed now, if you're not being intentional, how can you intentionally be interdependent with your teammates or other departments? And how do you have that conversation ongoing? How do you create projects that require that interdependency to allow the organization to flourish, to accomplish their mission, as well as for folks to understand how you know impactful their role is in the organization? I know I said lastly, but spiritually, we're fortunate we have a chaplain that's available. So um, if someone, they can, again, confidential, can come to the chaplain with anything they need, if they want spiritual guidance, or if they just want to talk something through a difficult situation, that's an awesome privilege to have something like that on staff. Absolutely. It's something in addition to the employee assistance program, you can actually go to the chaplain. What I heard and what you were saying is that that connection with people happens at the individual level, the team level, and cross-team in the interdependent context. And people are checking in personally, too, kind of like what Len was saying earlier, not just about work, but how are you as a person? And so you've been leveraging also uh, some of the spiritual resources like the chaplain and also the weekly prayer meetings as well. So it sounds like your company has been very intentional and creative (laughs) in coming up with some solutions. So Dr. Armstrong, I'm going to come to you. And you also have a, a perspective on spiritual resources and the spiritual part of the journey. So how have faith and our spiritual journeys affected our mental health over the last two years? And what else might you add as some ways to leverage some of those spiritual resources? Sure. So some of my comments will be informed by some of my work. Um, I served as a minister of congregational care and counseling at our Baptist church in, in Durham. 
uh, for 21 years. And so some of that work was during the earlier parts of the poly pandemic. And so what I've noticed both in the so-called sacred as well as so-called secular settings, um, I tend not to draw sharp distinctions uh, between those, those populations. But what I noticed was that persons were often finding that their faith did tend to be a resource. And in some ways, it may have been more of a dormant resource. And there was an opportunity for reinvigoration. Um, and perhaps even beyond an opportunity, some people felt the need to resort to their spiritual connections more deeply. So to engage in some of the spiritual practices of prayer or reading sacred texts, or even more of the creative types of practices that we may not see chapter and verse in scripture, but still are incorporated into who we are as human beings. So being able to engage in movement, fitness, or dance, and being able to tap into artistic expression as a way of channeling our faith and helping us to deal with the poly pandemic. So that's one way that I've seen people utilize faith uh, during the poly pandemic. I have also seen that because of the great difficulties, and I certainly want to take a moment to acknowledge that persons who themselves may have experienced health challenges, perhaps coronavirus itself, uh, or persons who experienced that in their loved ones and experienced perhaps grief through the death of someone, but even other types of losses that we've seen during the poly pandemic, those have been very difficult challenges. And at the very time that we need to have greater social connection, we've been isolated from our sources of support, both social and in some ways religious or spiritual. But we also have found that the traditional ways that we have said our goodbyes have been greatly threatened during the poly pandemic. So persons who were not able to have their loved one's uh, funeral at their church because the church was closed or had to have a graveside ceremony for a person who had been a stalwart of their church and ironically couldn't even be buried there. So those kinds of challenges have um, really taken a toll and really pressed a lot of people to ask deeper questions, perhaps existential questions. Why is this happening? What is God up to? What is this higher power doing in the midst of all of these challenges or what other kinds of questions we may ask? And so that has been an opportunity also to ask questions perhaps that we did not ask before. Perhaps we were afraid of asking before and found ourselves at a point where we had to ask the questions. And sometimes the answers come in ways that are more predictable and comforting and soothing. And sometimes those answers are not what we want or we don't hear anything. And so I think in those ways, our faith has been challenged during the pandemic. But I do like to remind people that um, there are places uh, where we can even see Jesus telling us that he and showing us through his, his ministry that even in unbelief, Jesus still comes to our aid. Jesus still heals, even when we're not really sure we believe on a certain day. And so that has, I think, empowered us to know that on those days when we're struggling and we're not sure what we believe or whether we want to pray or whether we want to be connected to spiritual sources, that our God is a constant and continues to give us the sustenance and support that we need.
You know, one thing I really love, Dr. Armstrong, what you said is that even as things are changing all around us and we have to become more creative in how we access one another and also how we have our relationship with God, that God remains uh, an anchor, one that doesn't change and yet we can adapt you know, uh, with God for the current times. And that's what I hear you saying. And have people be a little bit broader in their perspective. Like, for example, you were talking about movement and music and physical fitness, you know, doing your exercises to your gospel CDs. You know, yes. might be an approach. So thank you for sharing just this. Maybe an avenue that we're accustomed to has been cut off and we try something different. I know I've experienced a lot of deaths during the last two years, and I've really appreciated those people who took the time to create a virtual format for the funerals so that I could really acknowledge the lives of people who meant a lot to me. So that's an important aspect of what you said as well. Yes. Thank you. So, JC, I'm going to come back to you and to see if you have anything else you want to add on this part of the conversation about the spiritual resources and how those can be leveraged or used. You've shared a number already. Anything else you want to add to that conversation? You know, having some kind of small group, whether it's a virtual one or in person somewhere, uh, and maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's at work, maybe it's close friends. Uh, that you can come to and really talk honestly about all that's happening. Everyone's being touched by this. And it seems like it happens out of nowhere, even still, where someone gets sick and all of a sudden a parent's, they're losing a parent or um, a working mother, you know, is having problem trying, getting her young child into school with math or whatever's going on. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to grow together. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, one of the downsides, one of the upsides and downsides with remote church is I think we've lost that connection too. Many folks have gotten too comfortable and that, again, it's not really intended to be isolative, but it can be. So to be really intentional about reaching out to that small group of trusted folks that can you can love and support and grow together spiritually. Thank you so much for sharing that. Lynn, earlier I heard Tanya talk a little bit about the Great Resignation and I want to ask you about the great resignation and talk about the talent shortage that's out there, because many organizations are finding it difficult to get the talent that they need right now. So if we think about better ways of supporting mental health in the workplace, what opportunities do businesses have during this time of the talent shortage and the great resignation to kind of rise to the occasion and provide something that people value, that they want, and maybe other companies are not offering? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And it, it's one that it kind of draws on elements that, that I don't usually bring up in, in the capacity of a, of a psychologist. And a lot of it has to do with culture. A lot of it has to do with feeling like people are being uh, overly utilized or, you know, to, to kind of broad brush it, it's the, the great resignation, to, you know, it can be seen in a couple of different ways. I don't see that much of it in what I do. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when I've seen it, it's typically like in the restaurant business and in, in the areas of, I don't, I don't want to label it, but areas where people are, uh, involved in the servicing of other individuals and then the potential of uh, infection, et cetera. And I think that's where a lot of the great resignation, you know, got its beginning. 
as I say, I don't deal a lot with it, but I think that some of it's practical, some of it's uh, just I've had enough and I want to retreat and and do my thing and, you know, I, I can't make a living wage. And, and I don't deal so much with, with that population, but what, what I what I can say about it is it, it's culturally driven. I see maybe it's, I'm giving the fact a way that I'm, I'm a little older. Uh, I see it more with the, the current population than I did, you know, years ago five or 10 or even 15 years ago. Uh, so I'm wondering if it isn't more of a, you know, it, my own assessment is it's kind of like the me generation thing. Uh, and as far as what the corporations are doing about it, the corporations I, I deal with don't usually have a problem with it or they don't talk about that when they actually ask for my services. Clinically, I, I deal with it uh, using areas of interpersonal connection I don't bring up spirituality unless I personally feel that's important, but I, I have to admit that I think it's very important uh, personally. And I think personally it's very important, but the truth is, is that I think it is relevant and I try to, to kind of use as much as I can to talk about the interdependence and the need that people have for people to, uh, to show my belief in spirituality. You know, a couple of things you mentioned there, Elena, just will highlight about culture, because people are leaving organizations because they're finding that the culture is kind of egotistonic in a sense. If the organization and the leaders in the organization are not showing caring for people individually and personally, and if in the space of the overwork, there's not a sense of support mechanisms around and so on, that culture is probably going to be more vulnerable to what we're calling the great resignation. So it seems to me that part of what will make a difference for organizations is to recognize that this pandemic, the losses that people are going through, the challenges that people are going through have caused people to think about what's really important to me. You know, how do I really want to spend my limited time on this earth? Because our life is a vapor that appears for a short while and then vanishes away. And so you may not want to spend it in an organization that does not value you, doesn't care and doesn't support. So I think that when organizations do more to support their people, they create a different culture and they increase the likelihood that they won't be the victim, if you will, of so much of the great resignation that we're seeing out here. So thank you, uh, Lynn, for weighing in on that question as well. So Lynn, how can people reach you if they would like to engage you more or learn more about you? Well, I mean, the easiest way is to just uh, email me. And it's my last name minus the last letter. It's W-Y-S-O-C-K at Comcast.net. And that's the easiest way to reach me. And I can respond and have a web address, which is a little longer. Uh, it's Len Marsaki PhD, which kind of says a little bit of what I do. Uh, but, you know, in general, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the culture being connected with the interpersonal uh, attention that's given by the employer. And the fact that uh, people typically leave their, their bosses and not their jobs. And I think the culture has a great deal to do with that. And, and I'll leave it there. So then could you please say again your email address and your website address more slowly so that people get that? We'll have it in the show notes, but some people will only get to hear the audio version. Thank you for asking. It's my last name minus the last letter, which is W-Y-S-O-C-K at Comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot N-E-T. 
And uh, the web address is basically Leonard Wysocki, PhD. It's the full name with the I at the end and the first name Leonard. Uh, all in work. Okay, thank you. Thank you very, very much. That's how people can get a hold of you if they want to follow up. So, uh, JC, how can people get a hold of you? Probably the easiest way is just LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm listed two names, either JC Wright, PhD, so that's W-R-I-G-H-T, or it might also be under Julianne C. Wright, and that's spelled J-U-L-I-A-N-N-E, one word, C, and then W-R-I-G-H-T. LinkedIn, message me. I'd be happy to get back to you. Thank you so much, JC, for letting people know how they can get in touch with you. So Dr. Armstrong, how can people get a hold of you? I would like to invite people to reach me through social media. So on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, they can find me at Dr. Tanya Armstrong. And also, if they'd like to email, they can reach me at tarmstrong at armstrong, and then three letters, C-F-H as in center for hope. T Armstrong at armstrongcfh.com. And I'd love for persons to come and visit our website, which is simply armstrongcfh.com. If I may also add, Dr. Karen, if anyone is interested in learning more about my book and album set, it's Blossoming Hope, The Black Christian Woman's Guide to Mental Health and Wellness. And it is available on Amazon. It's available on Kindle as an ebook that includes the album. And it's available as an audiobook at Google Play or Apple Music. Thank you for including that because I certainly would have reminded you if you didn't. And I will say this to, to those in the audience Dr. Armstrong is an excellent writer, speaker, and a wonderful singer. So make sure you get the version with the songs because those are some of my favorites. So thank you so much. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Armstrong, and ask each of you just briefly to share your words of wisdom that you have from my audience of corporate Christian executives. So Dr. Armstrong, what would you leave people with? I would like to leave people with the acknowledgement that the poly pandemic is perhaps one of the toughest things that we collectively and perhaps individually have lived through. However, even though we don't know what the future holds, we do know who holds the future. And I hope that we all find great comfort in that. Thank you. Amen. That's a good word. Okay. Len, I'm coming to you. What words of wisdom would you like to leave? with my audience. For those people who are not necessarily as spiritual as, as they could be, my way of getting through and making my point is that interpersonal connection is everything. And if you do that from the goodness of your heart, if you do it in a positive way, uh, you're going to get the kind of fulfillment that you're looking for. And, uh, and, and I try to do that in my psychology practice and in my coaching practice without breaking the, the, the point of, of saying what I believe and what I don't believe in because it's one thing I've learned over the years is that you never debate politics or religion because you're going to lose. <laughs> so I, I try to stay away from that, but I try to, to, to actually show the reality of what that means in interpersonal relationships. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to, to respond to people via LinkedIn as well. 
you know, I'll say something, um, Lynn, about what you're saying from a spiritual perspective, and that is that interpersonal connection is important. And we would say there's sort of like the vertical connection to God, and then there's that horizontal connection with each other, which is powerful and important. And when Jesus summarized the two greatest commandments, he talked about the vertical and the horizontal. And what you've highlighted is that the horizontal is something we really need to pay attention to. So thank you so much. All right, uh, JC, coming to you, what words of wisdom would you like to leave with the audience of Christian business executives? I don't know that I call them words of wisdom, Dr. Karen, but I would just shout out huge encouragement and thanks for what you do. Leadership is so very difficult and it is a burden. And uh, I just thank you all for taking that on. I would encourage you to take care of yourself, to uh, you know, put space in your calendar to reflect on the week, so you have, and be time have time to be strategic about what you're engaged in and what's working and what's not and what's next. To take care of yourself physically, to, it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to you know go for a run, whatever you do, uh, meditate. That helps you replenish. Uh, maybe prayer time. And I've seen oftentimes in my 20 years working with leaders that it's kind of a double-edged sword. What has gotten you to leadership is your ability to take action and make decisions and have responsibility. And at times that gets overused and you can uh, end up feeling that burden even heavier than it needs to be. And I would encourage you to really listen to your direct reports and your peers you know, try and figure out how you can support and empower versus direct. You're certainly going to have to direct sometimes, but to try and keep an eye on that balance, because I think it's counterproductive for the organization and for the leader as an individual in many circumstances. So a huge encouragement. I pray for my leaders all the time. I'm thankful for my my leaders, my direct leader, as well as leader of organization and uh, Jesus Christ as leader of my life. Amen. So thank you all for being with me today. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences, your life journey, and also your wisdom with me and also with my audience. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Karen. You are welcome. So as we wrap up today, I want to remind the audience of a few things. Today, we've been talking about how, yes, there are many challenges out there. However, we're not alone. We can build connections and we can be intentional about thriving at this time and seeing opportunities that we may not have seen before. So make sure you go back and listen to all of the detailed strategies that my colleagues have shared with us today. And I'm going to close today with a Bible verse, set of Bible verses that comes from Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses four through eight. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So take away today, you can rejoice. You can take everything to God. You can receive his peace that passes all understanding. And you can focus your mind on all those things that are lovely and pure. Because here's the end of it. 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.